my good people, greetings, what is happening, what is going on, how are you feeling? Hope you had another fun-filled summer weekend, but it is Monday, so you know what that means. The latest installment of the J Reels podcast, hosted by none other than yours truly, J Reels. For the first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to download and listen to this content and have me entertain you with what's happening in the world of sports. And for those who've been banging with me from episode 1 to now 85, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, August the 12th in the year of our Lord 2019. Here's what I have on tap for you. The NBA is instituting the Rich Paul rule. That's right. If you don't know who Rich Paul is, he's the founder and CEO of Clutch Sports Group, who also represents LeBron James, Anthony Davis, among other NBA players. How this rule is going to affect aspiring agents moving forward as far as representing players are concerned. You'll get my two cents on that. The NFL exhibition season is now one week in. Not much to report, but I have a couple nuggets that I want to share throughout training camps across America. But with baseball being front and center and pretty much the only sport in town until the college football season kicks off on the Labor Day weekend, we have so much to talk about there, as well as the crazy pennant race that's going on in the National League, in the wild card in particular, and front and center of all that. If you missed my podcast on Friday, you definitely want to go back and listen to that because it was referring to not only being the life of a Mets fan, but being sucked in. And prior to the series against the Washington Nationals, I thought to myself, yes, am I sucked in? Of course. But I do not trust this team. So here we are now, three days later, and of course, three games aren't going to make a season because we still have 44 more to go, and the Mets are now traveling to Atlanta to play three enormous games against the Braves down in the Dirty South. But when you look at this series that just took place, And the electricity, the atmosphere, which was playoff-like, the uncertainty of the comebacks that we rarely saw from Met teams this year. In fact, a lot of the opposing teams were doing that against us late in games. I mean, think about this. All you need to know, starting off with that Friday night game, is that the Mets have not won a game going into the ninth inning. They were 0-44, and not winning a game being down. So that's all you need to know about how this run of now 15 of 17 games, because of course it culminated with the loss yesterday at City Field. But with the Mets and how everything had transpired over the course of the last two weeks and it set them up for this series against the hated Nats. And I'll always hate him. I understand it's a different dynamic. There's no Bryce Harper. He's actually up the turnpike in Philadelphia. But if you're a Mets fan, you do not like the Nats. You just don't. And... With how that game transpired and the way it did, and even though Marcus Stroman struck out nine, but he was okay. He wasn't great. He did pitch out of some tough spots. But starting off that seventh inning with the walk and then everything that happened after that, as we all know, certainly didn't bode well for the Mets. But when you look at that ninth inning and Sean Doolittle, who is certainly the Mets kryptonite, and with J.D. Davis getting that hit, and he had a big series, and Wilson Ramos getting that hit to make it the tying run at the plate, for one Todd Frazier, and him hitting that ball down the line to tie the game, that was as improbable as you could ever imagine. And then what happened about seven or eight minutes later with Conforto getting a hit and him being pretty much Magic Mike strip-teased in center field by a one-peat Alonzo, you just thought to yourself that this run was not only something special, but it was something to behold because you kind of wonder where this type of win, this victory was going to take him. And what it did was the next night with Noah Syndergaard on the mound and them trailing in the game early and then 
giving it up late with Juan Soto who had a huge series, and he's the reason why Bryce Harper isn't in Washington anymore. Let's face it. Juan Soto is a guy that was the runner-up to the Rookie of the Year last year. Of course, making nowhere near the money that Bryce Harper would have made if he stayed in Washington, and let alone the $330 million that he's making up the turnpike in Philadelphia. But Soto, who killed the Mets all weekend, and then put the game at the time, looked like it was going to be hanging in the balance whether or not the Mets were going to pull it out. And then of all people, Luis Guillorme, please. He's a guy that I talked about on Friday with now Joe Panic in the mix to provide a little bit stability at second base, not knowing what's going to happen with Robinson Cano as far as his health is concerned with that hamstring. But you could put Guillaume back on the bench. But his heroics and them taking the lead there later on with the J.D. Davis sack fly and Seth Lugo going the extra mile for a six-out save, which kind of made you think in the back of your head, "Uh uh-oh, what does this mean for one Edwin Diaz, which we'll get to in a second. And then yesterday, it was all set up. You had your ace on the mound. You had the Washington Nationals reeling up against the ropes. And then that first inning was pretty much indicative. And I'm not going to say it was the biggest play of the game because obviously the Cabrera double that led to the two runs to make it 5-3 to three was the biggest hit of the game. But if that play was to be made where... DeGrom was late covering the bag. And I understand the throw by Alonzo was a little, wasn't that offline, but it certainly had to make DeGrom lunge a little bit for the ball. But for whatever reason, it looked like he almost bypassed the ball. I don't want to say he overran it, but it was almost as if he was right there at the bag and his glove was just a little bit stretched out, probably a little bit too far than it should have been. So those three runs scored. And even with the Mets getting the three runs back there in the bottom of the fourth, they've kind of made you think that they're going to win this game. It doesn't matter. Look at what happened Friday. Look what happened Saturday. They're going to win this game. But that wasn't going to be the case. As I mentioned, the big hit there by Cabrera to make it 5-3. And even when the Mets get the other run to make it 5-4. And listen, the Mets had their opportunities to win this game. They left a lot of base runners. They left a lot of runners in scoring position. They weren't able to capitalize. It was almost as if the Magic dust started to run out there throughout the course of the afternoon at City Field. And then the ninth inning is what made you wonder not only about this team, but about what I said on Friday when it came to the three big things that this team is going to have to face here over the course of the last now 44 games. is A, the schedule, B, the manager, and C, which you maybe flip-flop with the manager, is the closer. At a 5-4 game, your closer is going to have to lock that down. Because who knows going into that ninth inning, despite the fact that the Mets have had all this magic, not only just over the weekend, but throughout the course of this 16-17 game stretch. But here it was at 5-4, gives up a walk, and then the home run to Victor Robles, which even if you're a Mets fan, in the back of your mind you're thinking, well, hey, maybe we could do it again. But you know day in and day out, there's no way you could replicate what happened the past two nights into a third straight day. If that's the case, then the Mets are going to be on the even more magical things this year if that was going to be the case. And that's not to say that you didn't believe or you didn't feel that they were going to bounce back or fight back, whatever, because again, it is Sean Doolittle. He is a guy that whenever he looks at the Mets, it seems like he's shaking in his boots. But he was able to get the save. No problem on his end. And now the Mets could kind of take a deep breath 
look at the weekend, what they learned from it, what they could do moving forward, and hopefully they could continue to ride this wave because they're going to need to. As I said on the Friday podcast, this is going to be a 47-game stretch of a playoff because for all the games that they weren't able to close out in the first three months of the season, now they're going to need to close these games out. And like I said, that closure is going to be an enormous part with a capital E, just like his first name. If the Mets are planning to make any type of postseason appearances or at least punch their ticket to that one-game playoff, that closer is going to be front and center, number 39, as to how far the Mets are going to go the rest of this regular season. And now as they embark to Atlanta and they go to Kansas City, and it's going to be interesting because is there going to be a letdown from what took place, not only over the weekend, but just over the last two and a half weeks? Knowing that they had this day off, they're going to Atlanta rested. I thought the day off on Thursday before the Weekend series was big too. Even though they want to continue that momentum, they just finished sweeping the Marlins. They took the back two again against Pittsburgh last weekend. And anytime when you have a winning streak like that, you just want to keep playing. But I thought it was good because it kind of, again, take a deep breath, start it up again, and look where it took them. But now they're going to head on the road, which the road has not been their friend as of late. The Braves, who came off of a tough series themselves, believe it or not, down in Miami, So they're going to look to try to put the screws on the Mets here. As far as the division, I'm not even going to get wrapped up in that. I said that too the other day. Just focus on the wild card. If by somehow, some way, you come out of Atlanta with a sweep, which is highly unlikely. But if you do, you'll be five games back. And even then, you still don't want to look at the division too much because you still have six games against the Braves down the road, including a weekend series next weekend. But it's all about the wild card right now. And even going to Atlanta, which is going to be tough because you're not going to have Jake or Noah. You're going to have Wheeler, Mats, and Stroman lined up for the series. But then going to Kansas City, even with two of the big guns, and Kansas City is one of the dregs of the American League. But as we all know, sometimes the Mets can play down to this competition. And just as you've had a streak like this when you're 15 or 17, there's going to be one of those type of streaks where you're going to Lose series. And as I've said time and time again, despite the Mets losing yesterday, you got to look at the big picture. They did win the series. And it did make up a game on Washington in the wildcard standings. But you have to make it stick. There can't be a letdown. I think the day off is going to help, meaning today, because knowing all the hype, the hysteria, the pressure, I'm sure this weighed a lot on this team once they left that locker room yesterday at City Field. So now they get decompress, re-energize, recharge, and then go at it tomorrow night. I felt that there wasn't going to be a game tonight in Atlanta. Let's say if it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three-game set. If the Mets would have swept the Nationals, oh, prime letdown. I I tell you right now, if they would have got swept by Atlanta, I wouldn't have been shocked. Could I be shocked that they get swept here? Uh, this is where the trust factor comes in. If you didn't listen to that podcast, you must listen to that Met fans or baseball fans, whatever you may be. Because as much as I said that at me being sucked in as a fan and a lifelong fan of this team, my main concern was being able to trust this team. And this is where the trust is going to come in 
starting with these three games. And then even going to Kansas City, because like I said, you don't want to play down to your opposition. Because then after that, they come home for a long homestand, nine games, but against formidable opponents, starting with the Indians, then the Braves, and then the Cubs. And then just when you think, okay, well, the homestand's over, they go on the road to Philly and then Washington. So the schedule's not going to let up, people. And if you're a Met fan right now, of course you're flying high, you're feeling good, you're in the thick of things. You never thought you'd be in this predicament three weeks ago. But now that you're here and rooting for this team, and again, you're not playing on this team, of course, but you want to believe. You wish that you could be a part of it from the standpoint of giving the power to the player as much as you can as a fan as you saw what took place over the weekend. But now that they're on the road, you can't do that. Yeah, you're going to have a smattering of Met fans probably in Atlanta this week you know, this week, or even in Kansas City for the weekend who want to revisit that place from the 2015 World Series. But this is the key stretch right here for the Mets, if you ask me. Because they've been able to do it at home. But the road has been a place where they've stubbed their toe. And we can only hope that the Mets, and I'm not saying they got to win 15 in the next 17 again or have another seven or eight game winning streak, but just win series. That's all I ask. So if you somehow, some way come out two out of three at Atlanta, two out of three in Kansas City, then guess what? You'll come home. You'll see where you are there in the standings. Hopefully, obviously you'll be in the mix if that's the case, but just from a standpoint of are you going to be in the number one position, the number two position in the wild card, or are you going to be right on the outside in that half game, game, game and a half out? And that's what we're going to look at. You hope the addition of Joe Panic will make a significant contribution. He certainly did in the ninth inning of the game on Friday night. And also with better defense, some good range that he showed there on a couple of balls over the weekend. Brad Brock, who came in and got a big out there yesterday in his appearance as far as coming out of the bullpen is concerned. And all is right in Metland right now. You just only hope that a week from today when I come back on the air that they could come back scot-free or even better than that. And when I say scot-free, do you want to go 3-3 three and three on a road trip? I guess you'd sign for it. But at the same time, you just want to continue to keep pace. You want to continue to have the same type of momentum. And they're going to go down to a tough place. Now it's not Turner Field like it once was back in the day. As we all know, that was a house of horror for Met fans. And for the Mets in particular. But you only hope that the Mets somehow, some way, will just continue to play very good ball. One of the things, too, that kind of got lost in the shuffle is the defense. And they talked about it with that play yesterday with Alonzo. And we all know the Met defense is not good. Not to say they have to play picture-perfect defense or picture-perfect baseball to win these games, but between the closer and the defense and the manager potentially showing some warts, you just hope that they don't come in the most inopportune times where this team could go into that tailspin. You don't want that error late in the game that's going to cost you a game. You don't want to have that blown save. Or you don't want to have that move that Mickey should have made that he didn't and it ended up costing him. Because those are the things that plagued the Mets, it seemed, not only the first half of this year, but going back to last year. And the last thing that you even want at this stage of the game, and you know you're going to lose games. And it's going to be times that Edwin Diaz is going to blow a game. The same for Mickey Callaway. 
the schedule's getting tougher. All, all those things combined. But you just hope that it happens few and far between because you know, and again, I can't stress it enough, people, because you know that the minute it starts to go awry with this team, that's when you're going to start losing faith. And when you start losing faith, that means you're going to start losing trust. And obviously when that happens, that's what begged the question for the podcast on Friday as far as being sucked in because at the same time, it's sucking the soul right out of your sports heart. And the blue and orange that you bleed will spill all over the floor. And then what? You look and you say to yourselves, ah, oh, the Mets sucked me in and it got me once again. So that's what we got. Let me see. Anything else with the Mets here that I want to state? We talk about the schedule. Yeah, let's get into the wild card ramifications. And I tell you, it is a logjam, unlike the AL wild card, which we'll get to in a little while. But with the Mets, of course, in full force, doing their best to get to that uh, one of those top two seeds, the Nationals certainly had that game that they needed yesterday, and that was important for them because if they would have gone home getting swept, they would have been out of the wild card mix as of today, but that's not the case. But when you look at the standings there as far as the wild card is concerned, the Mets now sit a game behind. And remember, they're not playing tonight, so they're either going to gain or lose a half game depending on what the opposition does. The Nationals have the top top spot, 62-56, and 56, just a half game ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, who were losing 8-4 yesterday and they ended up winning the game 11-9. And they were losing 8-4 in the seventh. So as a Met fan, even with them losing and the Brewers losing, as well as the Phillies losing on Sunday Night Baseball to the uh, the Giants, that would have been a nice clean sweep. Everything would have been status quo, but the Cardinals leapfrogged the Brewers, so right now they're ahead in the wild card standings with the Brewers just a half game back, 62-57. and 57. The Mets a game back, then Philly two back, Arizona three, the Giants three and a half, and you want to throw in the Reds, they're five back. So you have all those teams in the mix for those two wild card spots. And what you're looking at in the week ahead, now I won't talk about who Arizona, San Francisco, and the Reds are going to face. But here's what you have as far as the, as I pull this up here. The Nationals are at home this week where they play the Reds and then the Milwaukee Brewers come to town. So that's going to be a very fascinating series, especially from a Mets standpoint, to see which one of those team, two teams will knock each other off throughout the course of the weekend. So that's one series to look ahead. The Brewers... They're going to play the Twins, who just came off of a series losing three out of four to the Indians. So they're going to try to right the ship as they'll go to Milwaukee to play these games against the Twins. And the Brewers, of course, as I said, they're going to go to the nation's capital to play the Nationals over the weekend. The Cardinals will be going to St. Louis to play their two-game set against the uh, Kansas City Royals. excuse me, And then they'll come home to play the Reds for four before going to Philadelphia. Now, that's not the Cardinals, that is. Before we round this off of Philadelphia, as the Phillies will host the Cubs for three, and then the Padres coming to town for three. So, you got a couple of teams here that could be, uh, I don't want to say hot water, but they're going to face some uh, big-time pressure, especially of the weekend, where you have both the Nats and Brewers going at it. St. Louis has a pretty easy... Week coming up here, but though if the Reds are trying to get back in this race, they have to do some damage against this Cardinal team. And then Philly will host the Cubs early part of the week before the Padres come in. So 
Mets have their work cut out for them. All these teams have their work cut out for them. And like I said, this is going to be a 44-game playoff to the playoffs. More so for the Mets because of everything that they've transpired over the first half of the year. And now they got to continue to put the pedal to the metal. There's no other way to... I mean, they can't take any days off here. That's why what's more important here is that they stay away from the press clippings. They stay away from hearing everything about the streak. And listen, it'll engulf any team. It will certainly rally the team together just experiencing what happened over the weekend. And not only that, but... I'm sure hearing it from the press, but they got to put that aside. They got to be able to come back down to earth because they know there's plenty of baseball to be played. And it all starts again tomorrow down at SunTrust Park where they're going to face the NL East division leading Atlanta Braves. So interesting week for the Mets. We'll see how it all unfolds and shakes down. When you go across town, the Yankees, there really isn't much to talk. I'm just going to throw a few bullet points here. And see if they will uh, see where this will stick. The first thing is, we know the starting pitching is going to be their Achilles heel going into the postseason. Now, Tanaka yesterday gave you a masterful performance eight innings, three hits, four strikeouts, followed by Aroldis Chapman getting the save. He had to work hard for it, including 13 pitches to a one Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but he got the job done. You also look at the bad sides of the starting rotation, whether it's Jay Happ. He certainly didn't perform well there a couple nights ago. You also have the situation with, excuse me, James Paxton, who was hot and cold. It seems when he has his starts. Now, obviously, he pitched against the Baltimore Orioles last week. And the Orioles, as we all know, they're, funny enough, they're not the worst team in the league. It's actually the Tigers. But the Orioles certainly aren't that far behind. But the thing with the Yankees here, and I know it's a little bit too early to tell because you don't know how the roster is going to be shaped come October. And what I mean by that is that who's going to be healed, who's going to be healthy, who's going to be ready to play come playoff time. Now, when you look at the heroics, it seems like every other night, Gio Rochelle is hitting a home run or Mike Talkman, or they're just doing whatever it takes. And those are the contributions that you're going to need in order to win a World Series. Just like the Mets, as I said earlier, excuse me, when you had Luis Guillorme tying that game, hitting his first career home run in the most unlikely and unusual spot, you need those type of contributions from players like that in order to win championships. It's not going to be all reliant on your superstar, your star, your heavy hitters, etc. You're going to need those guys to come off the bench to get a key hit, to play some solid defense, to come through in the clutch, all those things that encompass not only these big winning streaks, but also what's going to lead you to a World Series. And when you look at, as I said, the Mike Talkmans and the Giro Shells of the world, and God bless them. I mean, they've been more than what any Yankee fan could ever ask for and throw Cameron Maven into the mix. And I'll give Maven a little bit more because he's been in the major leagues for over a decade. He's been on a World Series team, uh, not an everyday player, but my point is, is that let me see this in October with these guys. You know, Gio Urshela and Mike Talkman, they could beat up the Oriole pitching, the Blue Jay pitching, all this terrible pitching that's going on in the, in the uh, AL East. But let me see this in October. Let me see this when it really matters. And not to say it doesn't really matter in the regular season, but they could hit 50 home runs from now until October 1st. But let me see, come playoff time, bright lights, etc., them pulling through on this big stage. 
Just saying. Uh, is that? Am I right? Am I wrong? I mean, let's face it. Same thing happened with the Mets. Now, Pete Alonso and people, you know, the Yankee fan could tease me and say, oh, yeah, what about Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil? Let me see them on a big stage. And they're right. Absolutely. But these were guys that were supposed to make contributions to this team. Did you think Gio Urshela, especially from an offensive standpoint, was going to make this type of contribution? Same for Mike Talkman, who's more known for his defense than his offense. That's my point. So that's what you have with the Yankees. And again, even with the lineup the way it is right now, you know, Judge is slumping. He's now, I believe, down to like 275. Gleyber Torres came back in the lineup yesterday after the core issue, and that's something that they're going to have to monitor. And if the Yankees are smart, we know that they have a million guys on the IL. And I understand that. I'm sure by him playing yesterday, I'm sure he got clearance and he played. He he got an offer yesterday, but no need to rush these guys back. Or even if these players want to come back and they want to contribute. And I get it. And you got to give it up to them for them wanting to just play every day and stick it out, whatever. But we all know it's about the ultimate prize. It's not about just going there to play to make a contribution or to go in there and go 0 for 5. It's about the brass ring, as I've said time and time again. I, that's what you have. So to me, it's a starting pitcher with the Yanks, as I've said time and time again. And just getting the health back with these players. And Judge, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. Who knows if there's anything lingering from the ab injury that he had a few months back. Gary Sanchez is back in the mix. His first game back, he had a home run. So that was good news, not only for the team, but for the fans. And the Yanks, as I said, all there is to report from here on out is going to be how this pitching is going to perform and when are they going to get healthy, especially with their key players on this team. And when you look at the landscape here in baseball, both centrals in the American League and National League are the stories as far as the divisions are concerned. You can forget about the Easts and the Wests in both leagues. But when you look at what happened in Minnesota over the weekend where the Indians took three out of four, including yesterday. I mean, think about yesterday's game. They were down. The Twins were down 3-1 in the ninth inning. They got a timely hit where they looked like they could have won the game or it would have been just resounding. It would have split the series, no harm, no foul. They certainly would have been riding off into the sunset, been flying high considering what the Twins have done this year, especially from the offensive standpoint. But just a beautiful relay from the outfielder Tyler Naquin to Francisco Lindor, gunned them out at the plate to preserve that 3-3 score. And then Carlos Santana has the grand slam in the 10th, and they go on and win 7-3. Both teams are 71-47. and They'll play six more times in the middle of September in each other's ballpark. But uh, when you look at the pedigree of a one Terry Francona, when you look at this Indian team who have come back from an 11-game deficit, you would have to think that right now, and either one of these teams look like they're going to make the wild card because unlike the NL side of things, when it comes to the wild card race, the AL is the complete opposite. Because what you have there is either going to be Cleveland or Minnesota is going to get that top spot. And it's chances are it's going to either be Tampa or Oakland fighting for the second wild card. And Tampa right now has that lead in the wild card race, I believe by a game. Let me just double check that. The Rays are by a game and a half over the A over the Athletics. 
The Red Sox, you can forget about seven and a half back. There is no race there. So you pretty much have the Rays and A's are going to be fighting as to who's going to get that second seed in the wild card. Because other than that, you have no drama in the AL. Everything's in the NL and predominantly in the wild card. And that's that's pretty much it. I mean, baseball, it's amazing when you look at the if it wasn't for the wild card race, you would it would be so ho hum that as boring and as slow the sports season is right now, it would be worse if this was the case. You pretty much have the NL carrying the wild card race throughout baseball. And I, I listen, if you're a purist, you look at the American League and you want to say to yourself, okay, well, the A's or the Rays are going to be sacrificial lamb to either Cleveland or Minnesota. Now, we don't know that. It's a one-game crapshoot, as we all know. But, you know, it's not like you're going to have that sexy team going up against either one of those two teams from the AL Central. You know, it's not as if the Red Sox are going to go into Cleveland or Minnesota or the even the Angels, for that matter, with a Mike Trout. You know, you're not going to have that. It's going to be the Moneyball A's or the even low-cost Rays that are going to make it to the postseason, and God bless them. They will deserve it. Either one of those two teams can't knock them. But the thing is, unlike the NL, the AL is just going to be pretty much ho-hum, except for that race in the Central, which will be interesting for the baseball fan. But that's pretty much what you have for the baseball. And one last thing before I move on to the NFL. Where were you on this day 25 years ago? I say that because... Today was the beginning of the 94 baseball strike. And we all know how that strike impacted not only a lot of individual performances, but also impacted the rest of the season where you did not have a World Series and a champion. That was the year that the Yankees were in first place in the AL East. And that was the AL East that had, remember this people, seven teams. That was an AL, or that was a baseball, I should say. Baseball at that time had two divisions, AL East and West. It wasn't until the following year where they did realignment and instituted the three divisions. That was a year where the Montreal Expos had the best record in baseball. That was also the year where Tony Gwynn was at 394 at the time of the strike. That was also a year that Matt Williams had 43 home runs and was on the verge of possibly attempting to break the regular season home run record that was held by Roger Maris at that time. All those things that transpired that year, but of course, went up in smoke due to the player strike, which followed into the following year, if you remember. That was a season where they only played 144 games because the first two and a half weeks of the season was compromised due to the strike. So, I know that was a severe black eye for the sport. We know it took a few years to get back. I know the whole Sosa McGuire thing re-energized baseball and it pretty much put it back on the map. But uh, that's a day where, although it has to be brought up because it's the anniversary, already the silver anniversary of that 94 strike, but it's one that baseball, even 25 years later, would just soon want to forget. And certainly one I don't forget. Because I remember, and it was rough, so imagine if that would have happened today as I sit here talking about a slow sports world, a slow sports time, sports period, and then to have this come up. Oof. That would be bad news, especially with what I do. But anyway, 
just thought to bring that up for those who uh, were around for that and remember that. And uh, yes, that was uh, definitely a very fascinating, interesting summer up to that point. And then, of course, it just went right by the board with the players and the owners at odds, therefore not being able to come to an agreement or settlement where you had no champion in baseball for 1994. All right, as we turn our attention to the NFL, and nothing really much to report here. I know you've had some injuries that have gone on throughout, more so not in the games, but in a lot of the practices. I know Tremaine Johnson of the Giant of the Jets, excuse me, cornerback, he hurt his hamstring. He's going to be out indefinitely, and the Jets are thin at corner, so we'll see what Joe Douglas does here as camp continues to progress, as we get closer and closer to cut day and who the Jets will pick up. Obviously, they have big aspirations to go in places this year with all the acquisitions they made in the offseason, the new coach, the GM now with Joe Douglas, the aforementioned GM. So we'll uh, see what happens there. But uh, other than the helmets that are going on with uh, Antonio Brown, which I'll get to later on, and Tom Brady adjusting life to a new helmet, now there's these... So I guess over the last five years, there's been a new regulation or newer helmets that have come out where the old helmets obviously aren't deemed safe, especially when it comes to in-game situations of concern. So now with this thing with the helmets, are other players going to come out? Are you going to hear about maybe them not necessarily going to change whether it's the adjustments, whether it's the padding, who knows what it is. But at the same time, you got to figure out if the game's most polished, prominent player in Tom Brady, uh, how many other players are going to come out and say the same thing? It's just something to keep an eye on. It's nothing, I think, at the end of the day, nobody's going to really care. You just put it on after a couple weeks, just like anything else, you get used to it. But we'll uh, see what happens there. you got week two coming up here of the preseason, and you just want to get through it. Uh, I can't watch these games. They're rough. Everybody's jumping up and down, excited about football. And until we get to that first Thursday, Chicago, Green Bay, and I guess that, I get that's not a sexy game, but just for the NFL, the 100th anniversary, the oldest rivalry in the sport, that's why they do that. We know that Sunday night was going to be the game that should have been on Thursday night, Patriots and Steelers up in Foxborough. And away we go. So I would look at it. If you're a Giant fan, don't get crazy about Daniel Jones' 5-for-5 performance. I know Sam Donald's first drive. uh, Didn't watch it, but was very good. For what that's worth, you want to jump up and down, go crazy, uh, be my guest. But that's not going to certainly sway me either way to watch a quarter, a series, whatever it may be, of any exhibition football. Can't do it. Now, as far as the NBA is concerned, as far as the player movement, we know that's quiet ever since the 4th of July week, and you knew it was going to die down. Now, I don't know what's going to happen here in the days and weeks to come. Chris Paul, does he stay in Oklahoma City? Does he go? Obviously, that's died down quite a bit, but it remains to be seen whether or not that could be the next big trade that's going to happen here in the NBA. But the big thing here, before I get to Rich Paul, if you're a Miami Heat fan, you're going to look at a guy like Udonis Haslam who's going to come back for his 17th year. The only reason why I bring that up because he's the last link to even the first championship, the 05-06 team when they beat Dallas the first time around. So he's coming back for one more year. Good for him. He's a guy that 
has been on this team now 17 years or will be a 17th year. We know he's a lunch pail type player. And those are the guys that you got to give props. It's, we understand this is a superstar league. And a lot of the, these players join forces to try to win championships. But here's a guy who's a glue guy who's been there forever. He's coming back now again. Even in his heyday, he did average double digits in points and I'm sure close to that in rebounds. Now he's just pretty much coming off the bench, providing any type of leadership, locker room presence, etc. But it's good to see him sign on for one last year. And I thought it probably would have been it considering Dwayne Wade walked out of the door, but who knows? Since Pat Riley, Mickey Harrison, and company, they all look at the Heat team currently and especially the teams of the past as family. So what's one more year? I'm sure at the $2.5 to play anywhere between 8 to 10 minutes a game, why not? So uh, Udonis has him coming back for a 17th year. And I believe he has to be the longest tenure player in the league with one team. Uh, I can't even think of off the top of my head. I'm not in NBA mode, but what player has been on one team for 17 years? Certainly not anybody in San Antonio. Those guys are long gone. So good for him in that regard. Now, as far as the Rich Paul rule is concerned, this was a story that just broke a few days ago. And the NBA, I see what the NBA is trying to do here. You know, Rich Paul is a guy... If you don't know the story, and it was highlighted in Sports Illustrated a few weeks ago, excuse me, he was on the cover, where pretty much was, I believe the headline was the future of basketball. When you have a guy like Rich Paul, who had come from humble beginnings, who had met LeBron James a couple years older, going back to his high school days, and became friends with the Maverick Carters of the world, Randy Mims is another guy that's part of that team. With LeBron, they have their own marketing deal, the LMRM, I believe it is. So it's LeBron, Maverick, Randy, and Rich Paul. So what it is, well, what it entails is they're adding this rule into the league where you have to have at least a bachelor's degree, which Rich Paul does not. You also have to have three years, I believe, let me just double check this. You're also supposed to have an MBPA, so National Basketball Players Association certification for at least three consecutive years, professional liability insurance, completion of an in-person exam, and it's usually taken early in November at the office of the NCAA in Indianapolis. And what Paul is pretty much saying is, is that he's concerned not only for himself, because he feels that he's already entrenched in the game, he has his roster, but moving forward, trying to bring kids out of college to represent them because he doesn't have these specifications that pretty much the buck stops here when it comes to representing players. Now, the player that's in question, I guess that had surfaced because he started representing this one kid, Darius Baisley, who is a top prospect going back to the class of 2018, was supposed to go to Syracuse. He did not go. Decommitted. So the plan was to have him go into the G League under Paul's direction. Instead of doing that, he actually got a, or landed a $1 million internship at New Balance as he spent the year training for the NBA draft. Now, Baisley was selected this year, 23 overall, by Oklahoma, uh, by Utah, and then he ended up going to Oklahoma City. Now, what this means moving forward, well, it's two things about 
this situation, which is different than a lot of other people. One, Rich Paul, again, has been friends with LeBron James for many years. And over those years, and to the credit of LeBron and his people, everybody thought that this was going to be a bad decision that LeBron was going to pretty much hire people that were more buddy-buddy than more professional. But look what they've turned out to be. I mean, they've become not only top-notch in their professions, but they certainly have this brand that LeBron has had between all the TV shows, now Space Jam coming out, him, of course, being in Malibu, and he's doing what he's doing. But here's the thing. Because he has LeBron James on his roster, not many other guys out there who have lesser degrees or lesser qualifications are going to be able to have that type of player that they're going to, I don't want to say sink their claws into, but Rich Paul already had a head start in this game. And granted that he had to learn a lot of this on the fly, obviously not getting a bachelor's degree and taking these exams and the like. But because of this, moving forward, what does that say for the average Joe or for a guy that's on the come up trying to do that? Well, he's going to have to go through the all the different rules and regulations to get to where he wants to go, which is fine. But Chris, uh, Chris Paul, but Rich Paul, to me, this is a special case because not everybody's going to befriend an all-time great immortal player and then parlay that into a career where he becomes the CEO of his own play, you know, agency when it comes to representing players. So you have to look at this if you're the NBA, right as the Rich Paul rule, but at the same time, they got to know that this was a special case that you will probably never ever see or the likes of in this league again. So you know why the NBA did it. But you also got to understand, it's not as if Zion Williamson, whomever his agent is now, or let's say whatever his friends are right now, that one of his friends are going to become his agent. Obviously, that's not going to happen based on these new rules. And that's even if Zion, and I'm not trying to say that Zion actually, whoever his agent is now, that in three, four years is going to fire him. Because remember, when LeBron came into the league, I believe his agent was Aaron Goodwin, who was a very esteemed NBA agent. And of course, after the whatever, three or four years, then he moved on and the rest is history. Does that mean Zion's going to have that type of impact or is going to have that type of influence where he has a buddy of his that's on his, is rolling with them on the side and then is going to plan on being his agent? Well, we don't know that. But it's not as if the average Joe, you know, it's not as if the 60th pick of the NBA draft is going to draft one of his homeboys to be his agent. Or some second round pick or a late first round pick. No. So you get why the NBA is doing this. And even though Rich Paul says he has concerns, but he's already well ahead of the game where, hey, if he needs to go get his bachelor's, please, he has the means to do it. Or to be able to take those exams, to go to the NCAA office, to do whatever he needs to do in order for him to be certified by the MBPA. You know, it's not too late for him to do that. And obviously, we already know what his roster is now. Earlier, I mentioned LeBron James, Anthony Davis. How about a guy named Ben Simmons who just signed for five years, $170 million? So, he'll be fine. We get that this is for the other agents that are trying to get out there or for the one guy who is business savvy, who's not a snake in the grass that may 
want to look at their client and as a top client to try to get him the best deal, whatever. But if he doesn't have the qualifications, then uh uh-uh, he can't make it. And one thing that is true that Rich Paul says is that sometimes that even though getting that bachelor's degree, it's nice, but that doesn't necessarily make you a better agent than the next guy who's been through the rigors, who's obviously paid his dues, who's gone up the ranks and is able to represent players just as well as the longtime agent has and has gone through the process. So my finale of this is the NBA and them doing this, they're just trying to cover their back from the shady guy that's out there that you see time and time again. Going back to the AAU circuit, the street agents, so to speak. So they're trying not to get those guys on board. And for the guy who may be the, I don't want to say street agent, but for the guy who is the best buddy of, let's say, a top pick in the 2021 draft, well, guess what? He's going to have to go through the whole process in order for him to become that person's agent. Or if he wants to build his own brand or agency, he's going to have to do that. And rightfully so, as I feel he should. But with Rich Paul and what he's done, Remember, he's had a leg up. He's had a step up. So Rich Paul, despite the fact that he could come out and say that, hey, I have concerns about this moving forward for people below me, for people where I grew up that they look at me and they could do this. Well, right. Not every day they're going to be able to represent a guy like LeBron James. And even if they were to do that, they still have to be able to get a bachelor's degree, certified by the NBA, go to the NCAA office, do all that. So I think it's right for the NBA to do this to protect themselves, to protect their players by making sure they have legitimate representation coming from someone that is certainly qualified to protect their client and not someone that's just going to take from them and rub elbows with other people and who knows what that could lead to down the road. It's it could be just a messy ordeal for the league if they didn't stop this right now. And I think it was good for them to do that. And even if it is from someone from the hood who has doesn't have the qualifications, well, maybe that should give them the incentive to go out and become qualified and certified. There's anything wrong with that. So now you have this rich poll rule, which I'm sure, who knows, you may not hear about it again unless you get that transcendent player or that really top-notch player Let's say whatever, the first round pick in the 2024 NBA draft. Yeah, but this is my buddy since grade school and he wants to represent me. Uh, No, he's going to have to go ahead and make sure that he is certified to do so. Just because he's your boy doesn't mean that necessarily he's going to be in the best interest of wanting to take care of you, your family, your future, etc. In the case of LeBron James, hey, it worked out flying colors. But for every LeBron James situation that you have, I bet you have a hundred others that certainly blow up in that player's face or just goes awry or just goes backwards for whatever rhyme or reason. And that's why the NBA gets it right. And that's why most times the NFL doesn't get it right. So that's what you have there with the NBA. And then my hero in zero of the week My hero of the week is the wide receiver of the Miami Dolphins, Kenny Stills. And I know this may be a little bit controversial, but I'm not going to get into all the minutiae about this. But Kenny Stills is a guy 
that if you know over the last couple of years he is kneeled or knelt during the national anthem before NFL games while he's not only with the Dolphins, but he's also been on the Saints. And he's an advocate for everything that's going on in this country, equality, police brutality, etc. But in this case, he was bewildered at the fact that his owner, Stephen Ross, is hosting a fundraiser for Donald Trump and claimed to fight for equality against racism through this foundation of his called the Rise Foundation. And how Kenny Stills looked at it is like, wait, that's contradictory. Because how are you going to go ahead and fight for equality and be part of this fundraiser that Donald Trump is hosting when he feels that Donald Trump is the antithesis of what this foundation is standing for? And again, I'm not going to get into politics. That's not what I'm going to do here. But I do commend Kenny Stills for doing that. Now, to his admission, Kenny Stills posted this on Twitter and he thought that maybe he shouldn't have done it this way, but that's what he felt at the moment. And that he has not had a talk with Stephen Ross. I know the coach, Brian Flores, he stood by his player, but at the same time, he wished he could have confronted the owner as opposed to putting this out on Twitter where it could lead to a firestorm. Since this came out on Friday, it hasn't led to that. But you know what? You got to commend this guy for his not only standing his ground and fighting for what he believes in, but even putting his owner to task. And you know what? He's right. I'll just leave it at that. Did he do it the right way? Probably didn't. He should have confronted his owner first before putting this out there. You know, that's like me coming to my job and instead of confronting my boss about an issue, like just posting it out there on an email throughout the whole firm. And even though I may be right, but at the same time, it's like, hey, why didn't you talk to your boss first before putting it out there? So kudos to Kenny Stills for doing that. I got to give it up to him. And we'll see how that uh, unfolds in the days and weeks to come. And the zero of the week, and I understand this may be easy for me to do so because of Antonio Brown, but here's a guy that wanted out of Pittsburgh, got his wish, and in the process got more money on his contract at 31 years old. And granted, we all know all pro, we get the resume, top notch. But not only does he come into camp unhealthy with his feet because he didn't have the proper shoes on when he was in the middle of a cryotherapy session, but now, as I mentioned earlier with Tom Brady, he wants to play with the old helmet that he used in Pittsburgh and says that he will not play football, even walk away from playing football if he doesn't get that helmet. I guess he didn't get the memo, just as I said earlier, that these helmets have now been discontinued and certainly been banned by the league. So therefore, he's got no choice but to either sit out or lace them up and just put the helmet on and deal with it. He said the problem with the helmet, that it, I guess the way it's structured, that it, it blocks his vision from trying to catch the ball. Now, I'm sure it's more peripheral than it is Head on. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I've never worn the helmet. But at the same time, Antonio, if you know this helmet is going to be safer for you, number one. And number two, if you want to walk away from football, if you're going to talk about just saying, ah, well, I don't need football. I can walk away. I can sit down. Then just do it. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Pull a Barry Sanders and say, you know what? I'm retiring as of today. I'm giving all the money back. I got enough money in the bank. And that's it. Goodbye. And just do it. But you know what? He's become all talk. 
And listen, there's a guy that I rooted for for many years. He plays on my favorite team or played on my favorite team. And now the sideshow has gone to Oakland. And of course, John Gruden has to toe the company line by saying, oh, I support him, whatever he wants to do. That's our guy. Antonio Brown's the hardest worker in the room. But of course, he's going to say that. Because the minute he turns a little bit left, then Antonio's going to grumble. He's probably going to ask for a trade. He wants out, et cetera. So you know how that goes. So that's my zero of the week. To one Antonio Brown. So hopefully he gets it together. Not only for his health, but also for getting the right helmet. The proper helmet. So we can go out and play some football. And I'm sure it makes uh, entertaining fodder for Hard Knocks, which is going on. I had, did not see the first episode. I'll probably watch it at some point. I know the second episode's tomorrow. So for those who are following that, maybe I'll uh, tune in next week with the report. As far as uh, the Oakland Raiders being a part of HBO Hard Knocks. So that's going to be it for me. Jay Reels, obviously a lot of baseball to cover for next week. Whatever is happening in the NFL, we'll get closer to college football. Anything else that's going to take place in the world of sports, you know you come to the right place by listening to the Jay Reels podcast. I ask everybody each and every week to feel free and implore, I implore you to do so, which is to leave a rating, post a review. Please subscribe to my podcast on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast, whether it may be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, even iHeartRadio I'm on now. Obviously, if you, by doing so and leaving a rating, posting a review, all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this program amongst the many, as I'm sure you well know, many sports programs that are out there. And in hopes of doing that, increasing that visibility is only also going to generate more interest for this podcast where I could get more guests, whether it be former athletes, current athletes, broadcasters, writers, bloggers, whatever it may be, as I try to put forth not only a top-notch, credible, informative podcast, but also one that has some guests that I could uh, certainly hang my hat on, and not only that, but even more so for you guys to listen, to tune in each and every week as I bring you everything that's going on in the world of sports. Also, follow me on any of my social media accounts, whether it's Instagram, Reels, Twitter, Reels one just the number, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page, and you can send me an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to leave any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, on any of those uh, aforementioned social media accounts as I talk about everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Rolls Podcast, on the flip page.